Well, Happy New Year, IBC family. I trust that you had a wonderful celebration bringing into the new year. I know uh, probably many of the conversations that took place, much like the conversations I had, we're looking back at 2020 with um, mixed feelings and emotions about it. Uh, but at the same time, I love the, the opportunity for reset. I love the opportunity for, for uh, kind of fresh starts. And I think every year that goes by is an opportunity to have a fresh start. And I know at least in my home, both Abby and myself have been kind of looking back and also looking ahead. And the verse that has been uh, influencing us, that we've been reflecting on more fully, comes out of Hebrews chapter 12. I'd like to read it for you just really quickly. In Hebrews chapter 12, it comes off of the chapter 11 where it's all the faith chapter. All these many witnesses, many men and women who've been so faithful and endured faithfully up until the end of their life. And then the author says this in chapter 12, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. I know personally for me, and I want to just kind of, as a way of encouragement to you, uh, that weight and that sin, there's two different terms used there. The sin is obvious. We need to lay those things aside because that inhibits our pursuit of Christ. But there's also weight that may not technically be sin, but can still inhibit, can still stand in the way of our pursuit of Christ. And so at least in our home, and my encouragement to you is, what are those things? What, what is that weight that potentially stands in the way and inhibits your pursuit of God? Good morning. We're going to uh, read, uh, continue our reading in uh, Matthew chapter 24. Several weeks ago, uh, we started that chapter, and it's basically a response by uh, Jesus to the question that his disciples gave to him. They asked, tell us when all these things will happen, and what will be the signs of your coming and the end of the age? So Jesus responds, and we pick up uh, his response in chapter 24, verse 32. So if you have your Bibles or your devices or whatever, turn to that and we'll read now. Now learn the parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth its leaves, you know that summer is near. So you too, when you see all these things, recognize that he is near, right at the door. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But of that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven nor the Son, but the Father alone. For the coming of the Son of Man will be just like the days of Noah. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage, until the day that Noah entered the ark. And they did not understand until the flood came and took them all away. So will the coming of the Son of Man be. Then there will be two men in the field. One will be taken and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Therefore, be on the alert. For you do not know which day your Lord is coming. But be sure of this, 
that the head of the house had known at what time of the night the thief was coming, he would have been on the alert and would not have allowed his house to be broken into. For this reason, you also must be ready. For the Son of Man is coming in an hour when you do not think he will. Who then is a faithful and sensible slave whom his master put in charge of his household to give them their food at the proper time? Blessed is that slave when his master finds him so doing when he comes. Truly I say to you that he will put him in charge of all his possessions. But if that evil slave says in his heart, My master is not coming for a long time, and begins to beat his fellow slaves and eat and drink with drunkards, the master of that slave will come on a day when he does not expect him, and at an hour which he does not know, and will cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the hypocrites. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So God add a blessing to the reading of his word this morning. Well, thank you, George Wood, for reading that passage for us. This topic of our, uh, of, of our passage this morning is, is kind of interesting. We, we continue in the same theme of the king's return. And you, re- you recall from last week uh, that Jesus kind of spoke to the signs of the times, that there were there was events that were going to take place that would kind of segue or point to that of his uh, kind of imminent return. And he continues in that same kind of conversation with his disciples and bring an explanation as to how all these things are going to kind of end or how how God's creation is going to wrap up here. No doubt you uh, as a child, and this is kind of true in my household at this time, but a common game for our kids to play, and you probably played as a young kid too, was the classic game of hide and seek, right? And uh, I don't think I need to explain the rules to you, but just for the sake of, of explanation, uh, in hide-and-seek, everybody has to go hide, and there's one person that's designated as the, the counter, right? They have to close their eyes, hopefully, and uh, if it's in our family, they don't often close their eyes, but they're supposed to close their eyes, can maybe duck, bow their heads so they're not looking, and they have to count to 20 or count to 30 or whatever it is. And during that time, everybody has to go and hide. And then what do they say after they get up to 20, for example? What do they say? They say, ready or not, here I come. And then they go and try to find everybody. In other words, I'm coming whether you're ready or already hiding or not. I believe in our, in our passage this morning, in this, there's a kind of very similar response. There's a very similar declaration by Jesus. In a sense, he's basically saying, ready or not, here I come. He's exhorting us, actually, to, to be ready or to not be caught off guard because one day he is coming back. And, of course, the question in many people's mind is, when will this take place? And that's just it. No one knows. You see, in hide-and-seek, you kind of know when this person is going to come looking for you because they reach the number that they're told to count to, and and then then they yell out very very loudly, ready or not, here I come. So you know when they're starting to look for you. But when it comes to the return of Christ, we don't know. We don't know exactly when he will come back. And that's kind of our first point as Jesus kind of explains in our passage this morning that he makes, he says, nobody knows when he will return except for God the Father. 
You know, it's, it's not uncommon for people to, to attempt to figure out when the win, end of the world is going to take place or, or when Jesus is going to come back. I recall when I was living in Southern California that uh, there was this one billboard that was kind of going off the Mayan calendar, and you might recall kind of when that was all taking place, right? And this billboard is saying, the end is near, basically, and it says, and, it's, and it gave a date. It gave a, uh, a month and a year of when everything was going to end. And of course, after that moment, uh, the billboard changed its message. No doubt, maybe the math was wrong or whatever else, but uh, the billboard said the same, the same thing, that the end is near, but they changed the date on it. And then, of course, that time passed as well. And then as I drove by that billboard, it had like a cologne commercial or something on it or something advertising something completely different. And no doubt the whole idea was, we, everybody thinks this is when it's going to happen, this is what's going to happen, and in the end, it doesn't play out that way. Because as Jesus already declares, nobody really knows. Nobody knows. Not even the angels himself know. Not even Jesus himself knows when Jesus is going to return except for God the Father. So even though, Jesus, as Jesus says in our previous, te- <clears throat> previous text, even though we can uh, kind of observe the signs of the times, even though we can recognize when the beginning is close, we cannot predict exactly the moment Jesus will return. In fact, Jesus gives us two illustrations to, to give further explanation uh, of, of his sudden return. He, he talks about the days of Noah, for example, in verses 38 and 39. Look at your Bibles there in verses 38 and 39. Jesus says, For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving into marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark and they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. Jesus also gives two other illustrations to further explain his point. He says there'll be two workers in a field or there'll be two, two, uh, people, two women at the grind mill. One will be taken and one will be left. Now the point that Jesus makes in these illustrations is not that everything people did was sinful. Even in the days of Noah, even though God was kind of pressing the big reset button on his creation because of the wickedness, there was still a lot of activity that people participated in that was not necessarily wicked. In fact, Jesus' explanation or uh, identification of the activities are not sinful. People were marrying, giving into marriage, or eating and drinking. They're just living life. So what is Jesus actually getting at? The point that Jesus is getting at is not that living our lives and being faithful to being kind of fully present in the moment is wrong, but the point is that people can get so consumed with everyday activities that they are caught off guard at his return. In other words, people can be so busy with living their life that that the idea that anything would change suddenly or unexpectedly never crossed their mind. In fact, in Noah's context there, we see that Noah for 120 years warned the people that it would change and they just kind of laughed at him. They, They kind of scoffed at him because that just seems crazy and this whole idea that God would flood the world, they've never seen rain up until that point. They happily lived their lives as they saw fit until the door one day shut and all they knew was washed away. 
one day everything's normal. And the next, it's all done. As I think about the context of Noah when he's building the ark and, and Jesus making allusion to that and even the other illustrations of people working in the field, kind of just doing their jobs, living their life, I can't help but wonder if we're any different. The question that comes to my mind is, are, are you or am I consumed so much by activity and, and opportunity and the stuff of this life that I pay little attention to the reality that one day it will all change suddenly, unexpectedly. Let me ask you, do you, do you live your life each day with the sobering awareness that Jesus could come back today? Did you wake up this morning going, Jesus could come back today? Well, the question for you and me as followers of Jesus to, to identify, to, to grapple with, and to kind of come to terms with is how do we respond? How, how do followers of Jesus respond to the unknown and sudden return of Jesus? And Jesus, thankfully, gives us a, kind of a, an indication. He gives us explanation. He exhorts us, in fact, of how we are to respond as his followers, knowing that his imminent return will happen suddenly and unexpectedly in a time that no one can predict. How do we respond? How do we, in a sense, live our lives faithfully with that awareness in mind? Well, first of all, Jesus says, be alert. For us to be, to, to, as followers of Jesus, we must be alert. Verse 42 says, Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. That, that word for stay awake literally means to watch continually. It means to be alert at all times. It means to be vigilant. Now, it's important that we understand the, the emphasis here because it's not just identifying synonyms of that word, but the, the, the emphasis is on the continuous nature of our watching. In other words, we don't sometimes pay attention to spiritual realities. We don't sometimes acknowledge the fact that Jesus could return today, but Jesus is, is exhorting his followers and you and me today. He says, always watch Always stay alert. Never stop uh, uh, realizing that I could come back today. There's kind of a, a continual alertness that we are to exude every single day. Let me illustrate it in this way. When I worked on the pipeline in Alaska, uh, you know, for many summers, we'd be working all over the state. And, um, and basically, because we worked all over the state, we weren't at like a, a pump station where everything was all fenced in and protected. And so we were out in the middle of nowhere, multiple mountain ranges, crossing rivers and crossing uh, beaver dams and, you know, going just through the whole state. It was beautiful. I loved that job. But the nature of this job was this. Uh, we were out in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, although we all had a truck, sometimes we had to walk pretty far distances away from our truck to pick up our survey. And so we'd run this really thin copper wire for miles sometimes, and then we had to go clean it all up. And sometimes we'd have to cross multiple braided streams, and, and there's no way the trucks could go through. So I would leave my truck, and I would walk for a mile to pick up this really thin copper wire. 
But at that moment, I would be very um, susceptible, very vulnerable. And, you know, long story short, I had two grizzly encounters. I had a wolf encounter. And I literally have nothing on me to protect myself. They, they said no more guns on the pipeline, so they gave us this little dinner bell to hang on us. And uh, basically, we were kind of sitting ducks if uh, another animal, a predator, wanted to do something to us. But what I'm getting at is this. Because I knew that I was vulnerable out there, because I knew that there's probably a lot of things lurking in the, in the alders, I'm picking up this light wire, and I'm very alert. I'm looking around going, there's probably a bear watching me somewhere. There's probably a wolf that's, I don't see them maybe, but they see me. And so I wasn't just do-do-do-do-do walking along as if I was totally free and clear and, and totally safe. No, I walked with a continuous state of alertness. I always was wondering, there could be animals, and if there is, what am I going to do? What is going to be my response? I believe that's exactly what Jesus is exhorting us today. He's saying, because my return is imminent, because you will not know the day or the hour, because you, it will be when you least expect it, you must be alert constantly. In fact, Jesus goes on to give an illustration of what he means by his imminent return that is both unknown and, and sudden. He says, I'm going to be coming like a thief. Verse 43, if the master of the house had known in what part of the night the thief was coming, he would have stayed awake and would not have left his house to be broken into. It's kind of interesting when I think about, uh, even though I've grown up in the church, when I look at this with fresh eyes, I go, why did Jesus compare his return like a thief? And the point is this, it's because it's going to be surprising you're not going to expect it. It's going to be sudden and you in, in, in a time that is unknown. Paul even re- references in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Paul encourages the, the Thessalonian believers with some just uh, understanding of what, when Christ is going to come back. Because again, they thought they were in the last days. They were experiencing everything that was promised would happen prior to Christ's return. So they expected Christ to return. But this is what Paul says in, in, is a way of encouragement. He says, Now concerning the times and seasons, brothers and sisters, you have no need to have anything written to you. For you yourselves are fully aware that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying there is peace and security Then sudden destruction will come upon them as labor pains come upon a pregnant woman, and they will not escape. But you are not in darkness, brothers and sisters, for that day to surprise you like a thief. For you are all children of light, children of the day. We are not of the night nor of the darkness. So then, here's the point of it, so then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. Being alert, being sober-minded doesn't mean that we, we stop living our lives. That's not what Paul's getting at. That's not what Jesus is getting at. He's not saying that we shouldn't be fully present right here, right now. He's not saying don't live your lives. That's not what Jesus is implying at all. But what he is saying is that it, it does, because his return is unknown and because his return is, will be sudden when we least expect it, 
that reality should influence or radically affect every aspect of your life. It should influence your priorities. It should influence how you make decisions. It should influence the, the kind of short accounts that we keep with one another or should keep with one another. It should influence everything. Knowing that Jesus should come, could come back at any moment ought to have a radical effect every single day and every part of our day for the rest of our lives. One commentator kind of said it well when he said, we should live as though Jesus will come back today, but plan as though he won't come back for a hundred years. Live as though he's going to come back today, but plan as if it may not happen for another hundred years. So Jesus says, stay awake, be alert, but we must also, secondly, be ready. We must be ready. Verse 44, therefore, you must also be you must be ready for the son of man is coming at an hour you do not expect just as i gave further explanation to what it means to stay awake or be alert this this word for be ready means to be prepared it means to be available for immediate use to be ready is the is really the action that follows our watchfulness it's the response to our alertness. It's the what am I going to do about with what I know about idea, right? Uh, let me just, let me, let me illustrate it in this way. Uh, actually, over the holidays, perhaps it happened at your house too. I was sitting there on the computer. Abby was kind of in the side room reading some books uh, with the little ones and uh, the lights started flickering. And at that moment, I was like, huh, it is windy outside. And of course, in the Northwest, wind, strong winds could mean trees falling on power lines and lights going out. It's happened before. It can happen again, right? And so when the lights start flickering, what is my response? Is it just to sit there and hope the lights don't go out? No, what I did is I stood right up right away, and I went and got, got a few flashlights and I made sure they were within, kind of, I could grasp them at a moment's notice if the lights did, in fact, go out. Now, thankfully, they didn't go out, but if they were to go out, I was ready. And that's the point that Jesus is getting at here. He's not saying begin to be prepared. He's not saying start in your preparation process. No, to be ready means to already be prepared. Remember what I said, it means to have, be available for immediate use. It's not the process, but it's being in a position of already being ready. So let me just further illustrate with that example earlier. When I was ready, I grabbed the flashlights out of the baskets. I made sure they were in reachable distance, and I checked the batteries. Even though I put batteries in months prior, I made sure that they were working correctly. In other words, if the lights went out, there wasn't anything further I had to do for me and for my family. It was We were ready to go, and if it did happen... We're ready. It's okay. So what kind of readiness is Jesus referring to? What, what does he mean to be already prepared? Well, the kind of preparedness that Jesus focuses on here is the assurance that you are already saved before he returns. In other words, knowing that Jesus could return today ought to have a, a sobering influence on where I stand with God right now. 
Because the fact of the matter is, when he returns, the door is shut like in Noah's day. And when the door is shut, there's no more opportunity to change your mind. When Jesus returns, that means the opportunity to be saved to eternal life is gone. The opportunity has ended. This is why Paul exhorts even the Philippian believers to work out their salvation with fear and with trembling. To really honestly reflect and reassure yourself through the promises of Scripture as to why you are certain of your salvation. It's as Jamie even declared to us earlier. He preaches the gospel to himself. He's reminding of himself, this is how I know I am in fact a child of the King. This is the evidence that is true of my life. It's why Peter says in 1 Peter 4, the end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled, Be sober-minded. As Jesus says here, be ready. But thirdly, Jesus says, the way in which because of our watchfulness, because we are ready, he also says, be faithful. Be faithful. Jesus gives us a, a parable here to really just speak to what faithfulness looks like and really we could summarize it in one word and that would be our obedience. He really contrasts two servants here. One servant does what his master expects of him and another servant does not do what his master expects of him. Now the contrast here, again, is the difference between true faith and false faith. The servant, obviously, that does what his master expects is the one who shows the genuineness of his faith. He shows his faith by his works, by his obedience, But conversely, we see that the wicked servant, the one who does not do what his master expects, shows that he is, in fact, a false convert. He shows that he is spiritually lost by his faithlessness, by his disobedience. Now, we need to clarify something just to make sure it's not unfortunately taken in a a way that's unintended, right? Right? Jesus is not teaching that one is saved by what he or she does. You are not saved by your doing, but you do show the genuineness of your faith in your doing. You show that your, that your faith is real by your faithfulness. So yes, on one hand, we are saved by grace alone, but your faithfulness to God, the obedience to his commands, reveals whether or not you have, in fact, received his grace or not. Because as Jesus promises and many times over throughout his ministry, many will think they're saved to eternal life, but are actually lost and under eternal judgment. Perhaps you recall from the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 7, Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. But the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, that is the the end of all days, when we're standing before the judgment seat of Christ, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Didn't we not do mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. 
There's a strong warning that Jesus identifies in this short parable as he contrasts the response of two different servants. We see that the, the wicked slave, the wicked servant, the one who, who is not faithful, he says this little phrase, my master is delayed. My master is delayed, so there's really no reason for me to be obedient. There's no reason for me to be faithful, at least not yet, because my master's delayed. I got all the time in the world. This phrase, my master is delayed, is the attitude of someone who thinks they have all the time to turn to Jesus in repentance and follow him. It's a person that has knowledge of Jesus and even belief that Jesus is real and that they must obey him at least eventually. But in their rebellion, in their self-serving approach to life, they want to live life on their terms before they surrender. It's the person that thinks, I have plenty of time to get my act together. I have plenty of time to repent and turn to Jesus. And it is this attitude that is unfortunately the attitude that is a fast track to everlasting judgment. William Barclay actually offers a fictitious story to kind of emphasize the unfortunate deception of this kind of thinking. He says this, There is a fable which tells of three apprentice devils who were coming to this earth to finish their apprenticeship. They were talking to Satan, the chief of the devils, about their plans to tempt and to ruin men. The first devil said, I will tell them that there is no God. And Satan said, That will not delude many, for they know that there is a God. The second apprentice devil said, I will tell them that there is no hell. And Satan answered, You will not deceive many that way. Men know that even now there is a hell for sin. And the third apprentice devil said, I will tell them that there is no hurry. Go, Satan said, and you will ruin men by the thousand. And of course, the moral of this, this story is that the most dangerous of all delusions is that there is plenty of time. Plenty of time to change your mind. We can always repent at the 11th hour. But as Jesus says, you don't know when the 11th hour is. You could be at the 11th hour now, but you think it's 5 o'clock. You think you have plenty of time. Life is controllable. Life is predictable. But you could walk out of your house this morning and that could be it. Jesus says, watch out that we do not fall in the same trap, the same trap of complacency and the same trap of unbelief like those during the time of Noah. You remember, you recall that during the time of Noah, everybody thought Noah was crazy. After all, when did it have ever rained as he, as he said it would before? It never had. And no one listened to Noah even though he warned them for 120 years while building the ark, many of which he probably hired, but they disregarded the message. Everyone thought life was certain and predictable and unchanging until everything did change. And it was too late. The point is, thinking you have plenty of time to change your ways, thinking you have plenty of time to turn to Jesus, to, to get right with God, only means that you have been deceived. 
and that Satan has you right where he wants you. Let me conclude in this way. Jesus is coming back. Brothers and sisters, Jesus is coming back. Do you realize that? He's coming back and his return, his imminent return will be both unexpected and it will be unknown. We don't know. But Jesus says, because you don't know, the questions that you and I have to grapple with is, am I alert? Am I in a continuous state of alertness to spiritual realities? Am I prepared, not in the process of being prepared, but do I know that my salvation is secure and how do I know? What, what is the evidence in my life? And I'm being, am I being faithful? Am I being obedient to Jesus even now? All these things are aspects in which we as followers of Jesus are really, in a sense, wait for his imminent return as we live our lives daily, faithfully, one day after another. The fact is, brothers and sisters, the greatest peace And the greatest hope that you and I will experience in our lifetime is the assurance of knowing that you are right with God. There's no greater peace and there's no greater hope than the assurance that your soul is well, that you are right with God, that your sins have been forgiven, that if you were to die today or if that Jesus were to return today, there is no fear but only great anticipation because your name is written in the book of life. Is that true of you? Are you prepared? Do you anticipate and long for the return of Jesus? More poignantly, is it well with your soul? Through it all, through it all, my eyes are on you. Through it-